that's the beauty of education. That's the beauty of right. reading. Right. Like, right. read these books. Like, engage these books. Um, ask tough questions. But it doesn't come without risk. Yeah. Welcome to Hallway Conversations. We're a trio of educators who have plenty of questions about teaching and learning and school culture, and we believe in the value of reflection and collaboration as we seek to keep growing as teachers. This podcast is our place for thinking out loud together about issues in education and why they might matter to Christian educators. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hallway Conversations. My name is Matt Beamers. I'm Abby DeGroat. And I'm Dave Mulder. Friends, we're always looking for topics of conversation feedback, so please email us at hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. That's hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. We definitely want to hear from you. Dave and Abby, it's summer, which um, brings it a different kind of busyness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I know one of the things um, for each of us that we get to do a little more in the summer um, is a bit of reading. Yeah. And some of it has nothing to do with the work we do, and some of it is very specific to the work we do. And um, it's been a while since we've had kind of a book talk. Mm-hmm. And so today I'm just wondering, hey, what have you been reading this summer? Or maybe one book that you've been reading and um, how that's impacted you. And yeah, just some thoughts on it that we can share with, with our audience. So yeah. Abby, how about you? Like what's one book that, that you're reading or have right. read? Right. So I chose to bring an education book, and I know the two of you did not, and that's fine. Mine is called Disrupting Thinking, and it's by Kylene Beers and Robert Probst. And I've used this in a grad course before. I've also used it to structure um, some professional development that I've done, but it's just a really excellent book that I feel like is is appropriate for our time. Again, there's a lot of contentious issues in yeah. oh America goodness, yes. right now, right? <laughs> yeah. And not in Canada. Yeah. I know, I know the I world. Know okay, the world. <laughs> yeah. Um but I feel like as educators and Christian educators mm. in particular, it's important for us to think through how are we using education as formation mm. and how does reading factor into that? Wow. And um, Beers and Probst, I honestly, I don't know their faith affiliation. I've never heard them talk about it. Sure. But their framework that they use and the point that they make in this book um, really resonates with me as a Christian educator. Yeah. And so their point is, um, it's called, again, disrupting thinking. And so basically their thesis is, if you're not reading to be changed, why are you reading? Yeah. Mm, that's right? an interesting and so, question. And so how can we as teachers create classrooms where our students are changed by, formed yeah. by yeah. Um, the material that they interact with? Yeah. And what does that mean? And mm-hmm. what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And how can we bring that purpose to yeah. the forefront um, yeah. of schooling? And I'm just going to read a little bit. Um, from the text here. So this is this is on page 50 in part one of, of this book. Okay, if our questions lead students to merely extracting, and if our primary goal is to check for the understanding that can be measured by how much they are able to remember, then children learn, text after text, year after year, that reading is simply for answering, for extracting, for telling. It is not for becoming. And we will, for yet another year, not become a nation of readers. Mm-hmm. The reader we hope to graduate from our schools is one who is open to the possibility of change. 
To read with a commitment to remaining untouched, unmoved, unchanged is simply to waste one's time. New information, new arguments, new perspectives should offer the reader the possibility of sharpening and improving his thinking. This seems to be true whether that reader is thinking about the issues fiction often addresses, courage, loss, love, hate, and all of the others, or about the issues that nonfiction often raises, climate change, change, race relations, bullying, poverty, and all the others. Granted, not every text will change us. Some, perhaps many, will confirm what we already thought without offering us anything new or different. But if we approach the text with determination to ignore or reject everything it may offer, there's little sense in approaching it at all. Wow. Yeah, isn't that good? Yeah. 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 And so it just has me really thinking about how many people are stuck in that mode of, um, Louise Rosenblatt calls it a efferent reading, right? Just to extract information, Mm -hmm. just to prove points that we already Mm. think and without um, the the, the willingness to be changed by other people's perspectives or new knowledge or we get so stuck in our ruts that we can't hear each other or... Or have empathy with people, or yeah, and in right. what in what role does education play in creating those kinds oh, of totally. people, and mm-hmm. how can we as Christian educators take our role seriously in creating people who are empathetic and who are willing to be changed by new knowledge and who can who are reforming right who, yeah, who can right. take an idea, hear something new, make it better, be grounded in truth, yet always be open to learning mm-hmm. more and. Mm-hmm thinking and refining our positions and thinking about how we should live our lives in response to our faith. And I think reading is such a huge part of that. Yeah. Um, And I know that we as schools sometimes do get so lost in can our students read Mm -hmm. that we lose sight of, but but why are we doing it? Right. Yeah, it makes me... So yes and amen to all of that. Like that is that would be a deep hope when mm-hmm. I think about reading. Yeah. It, it really it really would be my my one question that I wonder about in Christian schools is if is because when I hear that I right away think that is what it means to read for responsive discipleship mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. to to equip our students to respond appropriately to the culture and engage the culture in which we live mm-hmm. and I think that is. Um, for my background, coming from a reformed Christian education, that's what it means, right? To be, to be reforming, to engage mm-hmm. the culture. My question that I wonder about today is if that's what some parents want—not mm-hmm. responsive discipleship, mm-hmm. but status quo discipleship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, to not read for change, but to use a word that you, that they use is actually to read to simply confirm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what our parents know to be true mm-hmm. and to ensure that that is passed down mm-hmm. to their kids that yeah. we actually don't want transformation we want it but do we really want yeah, transformation we, we, we say we want do right? we and want then, to engage yeah. those big ideas because to engage big ideas um, around some of those complex topics you might lead your kids to come to different conclusions come to different right. conclusions mm-hmm. and do we really want that and so it's interesting in hearing conversations about what we should be teaching in our schools, you know, mm-hmm. dictated by boards or state. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting to me then what we're saying we shouldn't be teaching mm-hmm. yeah. in our schools. And when I sometimes hear conversations about what we shouldn't be teaching, I feel like we're teaching for confirmation right. more than 
transformation. And, and I say that as a parent as well. Like, I have to ask myself, do I want my kids to think differently than I do? And yes, I do, but how differently? Mm-hmm. And yeah. to think about that is like, because that feels like a risk. And yet, that's the beauty of education. That's the beauty of reading. Right. Like, right. read these books, like, engage these books, um, ask tough questions. But it doesn't come without risk. Yeah. Anyways, that's my initial right. yes and amen. Right. But we, we kind of had talked about that on a recent podcast, right? Yeah. About how to have those conversations. I think I yeah. mentioned the yeah. the framework, right? Of yeah. you have to be willing to have um, in order for true commitment to take place, yeah. there has to be some questioning or some crisis, yeah. right? Created yeah. in order for students to take on that belief as yeah. their own instead yeah. of just a shallow, this is what my parents always thought. But yeah. it has to be done in an environment where it's yeah. safe. And if our Christian schools can't be that place, no. oh, man. right, then we're in trouble, I think. Yeah. And so yeah. how, but it is, it's, it's a complicated question. How yeah. do we as teachers create that bedrock, keep yeah. that bedrock of truth while also allowing for enough mm-hmm. engagement with big questions that our students can make their faith their own and it's not just yeah. what's passed on and mm-hmm. what what my and, parents say and I think this is the complexity of Christian education Absolutely. because because you have parents there who want confirmation and you want you have parents there who want transformation mm-hmm. and you have parents who want a bit of both mm-hmm. and so I think that's what makes it difficult for school leaders for mm-hmm. school boards even for school, teachers because you have all these different expectations yeah. put on this school um, and how do you how do you how do you balance that actually right. if there's, if right. there's competing interests with there's it, competing right? interests yeah. right yeah. well even when you were saying that, that that idea of reading for information or for confirmation mm-hmm. like that struck me because it's like how often isn't that what we tend towards mm-hmm. right like yeah so i want you to read this particular thing well why do i want you to read this thing um and i've gotten better at that of, mm-hmm. of putting things in front of my students that i actually really strongly disagree with mm-hmm. because i want them to read this and grapple yeah. with it and so we can actually have a conversation and that was not always my approach mm-hmm. as, as an educator but i still think a lot of students that and this is like university students that we're teaching they assume that if i'm assigning it it's because this is what right. i think i have right? students who are seniors who i did that same thing I, I put something in front of them that really was not to be trusted right yeah, it was right. it was a bad example mm-hmm. and I, the realization when they kind of realized i can question the text yeah. that a teacher puts in front of me they had never that considered that yeah but it's it rings true right yeah. for some of these people or for these kids they've never they've never questioned a text and i also think that's a disservice to our students uh, that's right Right, because yep. then will they approach everything that's put in front of them as authority with yeah. and not develop that critical thinking and, skill either. And then how does that translate when you're sitting there watching CNN or Fox yes. or you're watching yes. a documentary or yes. can you think critically about right every everything we watch, everything mm. we consume, yeah. it has a bias. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Right, and how do we how and do you teach them to recognize that? Curated. <laughs> information yeah. you don't yeah. develop that muscle either and, and the, yeah how, if we want our students to be able to discern yeah. truth mm-hmm. they need yeah. opportunities to practice and develop that nobody's muscle. going to cure curate it for you when you're an That's adult right. it does make me yeah. wonder then if, if one of the important questions we ha- we ha- need to have even in our own department so mm-hmm. not just at a k-12 but even our own department here at our school is 
is what aren't we reading? Mm-hmm. Like what mm-hmm. what are our students leaving our school like leaving our mm-hmm. classrooms mm-hmm. with yeah. that we haven't discussed? And and I think sometimes we focus on like, hey, I want to I want to engage this text. I want to but. But what what aren't we reading? What topics aren't we talking about? What authors aren't we putting in front of mm-hmm. in front of our students? Yeah. Um, because that also is sending a message to our students mm-hmm. about what we value. What Absolutely. we don't read communicates what we value. Absolutely, it's the Absolutely. whole idea of hidden curriculum. After it all, is right? totally the yeah. idea of hidden curriculum. Okay, so thanks for letting me talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, thanks. This for is interesting because yeah. the book that I brought it has nothing to do with that, and okay. yeah, the way our conversation went, I'm like, oh, this yeah. is kind of thematic. So the book that I brought is not an education book. Uh, this is it's called When Everything's on Fire. And the subtitles "Faith Formed from the Ashes," "Faith Forged from the Ashes." And it's by Brian Zond, who's a pastor in, in Missouri. Um, this this is one of the more compelling books that I read this this year. And he he is uh, speaking with a pastor's heart, and so it's written you know with with that kind of a, an eye towards who who is in the church today. And and he's I mean the whole idea when everything's on fire, how, who hasn't felt some sense of that over the past couple of years, mm-hmm. right? Like the whole mm-hmm. world that I knew is feels like it's burning down around me. Yeah. Um, but his his real point in this book, and I, I guess I would say this is a book about deconstruction, right, which is a buzzword. And I always wonder when people are talking, when I hear Christians talking about deconstruction, like what do they actually mean by that word? Um, and I feel like in some some circles, people mean deconstruction means you're walking away from your faith. Or in some circles, deconstruction means you're coming to actually own your faith and not just accept what was passed on to you. And that's why I say this mm-hmm. maybe picks up on some of the same things that you were just talking about there, Abby. And... I don't know how much self-disclosure I'll, I'll give here. I, I would say for myself, about 15 years ago, I went through a very a season of wrestling um, yeah. in, in my faith life. Yeah. And today, if I was using the language, it's con- I maybe would call that deconstruction, yeah. right? Like the things that were passed on to me, and I was just asking a lot of questions, and I spent a lot of time reading the Bible in in a very different way than I had in the past, mm-hmm. right? And I went through And what um, Zahn talks about in this book that I really like, he, he you know, sometimes we think about deconstruction as like, yeah, demolishing your, your faith. And he argues in the book that deconstruction is actually part of the process. Like if you think about doing renovations to a house, mm-hmm. there's yeah. always some deconstruction yeah. before you end up with this new beautiful thing. And so his, his argument is, so imagine that you're building this theological house for Jesus. Yeah. Jesus lives uh, and he sits on the throne here and you've built this. Uh, some of it's passed on to you. Some of it's things that you've developed and, and learned mm-hmm. for yourself. And then you start looking around this theological house that you are, have built for Jesus and you're like, boy, we need some renovations here. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it means a fresh coat of paint and sometimes it means you're looking at a whole way and say, oh, that's to go. We're going to rebuild yeah. something here. Um, and so that sense that he says faith forged from the ashes, the, the second half of the book really talks about that. Like how do we find spiritual practices that actually help develop our faith mm-hmm. in really healthy ways? And sometimes that means you're going to uncover things in those spiritual practices where you're like, yeah, what I thought I was doing here, I'm not actually faithfully right. following Jesus. And I'm going to reimagine faith that was passed on to me. Um, and yeah, it was, I found it compelling. Uh, it's pastoral. It was encouraging. Um, and I, I guess I would recommend it, but I would recommend if you're going to read it, like read it with a, a critical eye too. Yeah. I, th- mm-hmm. I think that's a valuable thing. It's yours in here, Abby, right? Right. Absolutely. One of the things I think of when I when you, I hear you talk, Dave, is this idea of, of renovations, right? And, yeah. and part of it is, um, you know, I, I lived in a really, what felt like a really old house before we moved to, to Iowa. And it felt like we were renovating that place for, for 20 years. But it was always interesting when I had my brothers who were in the construction industry. Sure. They could see things in our house that needed renovating more mm-hmm. than I could because mm-hmm. they had an eye for it. 
And it does make me wonder, how do we, how do we sort of have a group of trusted mentors mm-hmm. and friends that can maybe speak truth into our lives about yeah. things that might need to be reconstructed. Right. And um, that we can't yeah. see it all for ourselves. I know that some of the moments that have led to great transformation um, in for me, some of my own practices, were people having the courage to say to me, I notice this, Matt. I mm. wonder about, about that. Things that I would never see... My, myself. And, yeah. and that takes a lot of courage for someone to say that has to be a trusted friend. But then also for someone to walk through um, reconstruction, deconstructing, reconstructing yeah. yep. with you. I like mine, I don't mind the word at all. My, my worry, I don't know what the right word is, is how many people go through that alone? Well, exactly. And I right. think that to me is, is the whether mm. the, whether that's happening in your mm. in your church community and your friend right. with your friend community, um, I, and I think that's what that's what concerns me more is like yeah. to do that alone. Well, that's um, troublesome. Is, a, is yeah, I, that would just yeah problematic. Yeah. And I think that's where we we should in the church have the sense of uh, where we should be about making disciples. So what does discipleship actually yeah. mean, right? Like learning yeah. to more faithfully follow Jesus. Yeah. It's not just me and Jesus yeah. then, right? Like that, yeah. that happens through community and it happens through conversation, I think, yeah. right? And our friend Justin Billy sometimes talks about that, right? Like we were a lot more comfortable in, in the church talking about spiritual formation today, yeah. right? Because discipleship, boy, that feels like a burden or something, yeah. right? And, and I, I think Justin's onto something when he when yeah. he talks about that, right? But really, we can't not be being formed spiritually. Yeah. Everything going on in the world around us is shaping us in some ways in in our spiritual life too. So how do we get really intentional about that? Yeah. And for this book to start thinking about some of these ancient spiritual practices uh, around reading scripture and around yeah. prayer and around yeah. fasting and, and things like that, like boy, it's like an, an ancient. Um, modern faith kind of yeah, thing right, that you find yourself right. in then, right? Like, yeah, a lot of those things that we would have done in previous generations, maybe we're not so quick to do those things anymore right. because it's, we're... It's the idea of formation again. It is. Yeah. That's right. right. Absolutely. How, how are we being formed by our spiritual practices? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of just knowing the right answer or extracting information. That's right. How yeah. are we letting ourselves be formed mm-hmm. and changed? Yeah. Confirmation versus transformation. Right. It comes, <laughs> yeah. back, it comes right. back to that. But it's a good reminder though, Dave, too, like to think about then... Our moves in the classroom as teachers are are not neutral. Oh, that's right. right. Like right. how, like the, like those, <laughs> whether we want to believe that or not, if it's not neutral, then how we're setting up classrooms, how we address our students, mm. everything from greeting and sending our students um, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. um, our assessment practices are doing something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To, to our students, right? So so as you're talking, um, you know, you're talking about deconstructing and reconstructing. I'm thinking about that even as a teacher. Sure. What do I need to deconstruct in my pedagogy, mm. right? What do I, and what needs Ooh, to be reconstructed? Yeah. And I think, again, and how... Who, who among us hasn't demolished a wing or two <laughs> yeah, in right. our own <laughs> pedagogical right. practices? So, and if not, like, I would yeah. argue... You might need to. All right. Well, folks, the book that I recently completed was by Andy Crouch called The Life We're Looking For. It's uh, Reclaiming Relationship in a Technological World. And Mm. and I initially picked this up. I've read Crouch before, and I just have such deep appreciation for him. But I think what drew me to this is, you know, we've used the um, language of the audio and the video not aligning. Mm-hmm. And I would say I really struggle with that in terms of what I 
um, in terms of what I hope my relationship with technology um, should look like mm-hmm. and what it a- what it actually looks like. Um, and this desire, right, to be in, what does it mean to be in right relationship with technology? Um, That's and, an intriguing oof, question. Right? For this, no, totally. An and, That's an oof, I yeah. think. No, totally. It is an oof. And so yeah. this was one of the best books I've read in recent, recent years, mm. and it was one of the hardest. Mm-hmm. Because, again, it took, going back to deconstruct or just even being honest hey, with myself. But you're reading yeah. for change. Um, but hey, reading for transformation, yeah. right? Um, but even like his his um, chapter titles, right? What we thought we wanted, the loneliness of a personalized world, heart, soul, and mind strength, what we've forgotten about being a, a person, hmm. um, how we trade personhood for effortless power. Um, so he just, it was really, even those titles, I was just like, oh, am I ready, ready to take this on? Um and I think about that, right? Like we want, I think we're created, and Crouch talks about this, we're created to be lovers. We're created mm-hmm. to be in relationship mm-hmm. with each other. Um, and yet, right, and we live in a world in technology, I think that promises those things, yes, right? right? Right, be in relationship mm-hmm. with technology and you will receive this. And yet, um, the, the reality is that when our, our relationship with technology is not rightly ordered, it dehumanizes mm. us, right? It makes us yeah. less than the people God has created created us to be. And yet, we're drawn to it because we think it will make us more fully, fully human. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. Right? So I just think about that. Um, even if you just think about the world, and I've never loved the mall, but right when you're at the mall, you're with, you're at least among people. Mm-hmm. Right, you're you're speaking to someone at, at you know in a store. Um, you're rubbing shoulders with other human beings. Well, you don't even need to go to the mall anymore, right? No, you can just yeah. do it all. You can do it all, and I do. Trust me, probably way too much. Guilty, right? Okay. You don't even need. Like I always laugh now when I hear one of my daughters talking on the phone. That's so refreshing to me. Yeah. Right. My my parents used to tell me to get off the phone. Now I I long for my daughters to talk. Just be on the phone. Just be talking to to someone, right? right? (laughs) And so, right, you see how we've become less human. Yeah. Right? Like like now, you know, now sometimes I go to the mall to get out of the house, right? Instead of going to the park or going to the coffee shop. Um, because I can, it's a you have to be a little more human at the coffee shop than than you do than you do at the mall. And so it was just really intriguing hmm. to me. If I think about my own relationship with technology, quite honestly, my own relationship with my phone. If it's not in my pocket, I, I'm I subconsciously tap touch my right pocket because that's where I keep my phone. Mm. And if it's not there, I look wildly like where is it right? Mm. And so. Again, how is my phone and technology forming and shaping me mm-hmm. yeah. as as a person? And so, so Crouch kind of talks about these three shifts. He talks about um, these. He uses the language of, of redemptive moves that we can make in our life. So he talks about devices to moving from devices to instruments, moving from family to household, and moving from charmed. To blast, and I'm not going to talk about all three of those. But one of the things that really um, resonated with me um, was this idea of moving from family to household. And initially, when I read it, I actually was pretty defensive hmm. because we have just moved to a new community, 
and I miss my family. Mm-hmm. That was the place where we knew um, we were known and we knew others, yeah. where we loved and we were loved by others. And we're living in a place where, in a small town, where we're, we're much more anonymous. But it also resonated with me in terms of this idea of household, because he talks about, um, in this chapter, um, he asks a really important question. He says, what kind of place do we require to thrive as persons? Right, and what if it's not the? What if it's not our immediate family? What if it's this idea of larger households? And he talks about households. He's like, we need places where we can invest ourselves deeply in others, come to care about their flourishing, and give ourselves away in mutual service and sacrifice in ways that secure our own identities instead of erasing them. And he says the name for this kind of place I have come to come to believe is the household. And he goes on and says, this is the one thing we need more than any other, a community of recognition, that a household is a community of recognition. While we must always insist that every human being is a person, whether or not they are seen or treated as others, as one by others, we also know that no human being can flourish as a person unless they are seen and treated as one. And for that, the household is the first and best place. We need a place where we cannot hide. We need a place where we cannot get lost. Ooh. Yeah, and I thought about that. I thought about that as a, as a, as a father or as a family living in a place mm. where so many people have that built in. Mm. And yet, how do you, how do you build that for when you're not related to anyone? And, and what is a school? School. What role does a school totally. play? Mm-hmm. Totally, and so that's that. so, and that was yeah. my that was my connecting point, right? Where yeah. we have we're in a you know for us at a university, we have fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred students walking mm-hmm. around every day, yeah. longing for household, right. right? Longing to be known, and so it just makes me wonder whether a kindergarten, middle school, high school, or university. Right? Is that how do we create households mm. where students are, are known yes. um, and know others? Um, and I just love that, right? And and I think about that for my for my own children now. Like it's we've been here for a couple of years, and I we're slowly beginning to build household. And one of the ways I thought about household for I thought about we have a daughter in high school that if we were not here. Who can she go to that she can show up at the door unannounced Mm -hmm. and either knock on the door or not even knock on the door, just walk in Mm -hmm. and people are happy to see her, whether in a Mm -hmm. time of need, a time that those are the places. And and how how do we create classroom space where when students walk through the door, there's a sense of we're we're so glad you're here. Yeah. It wouldn't right. be the same yep. without you. Right. Yep. Just delight in their personhood. To delight yes. in their in their personhood. Yeah. Yes. And, and I and I guess I was encouraged because it made me realize as much as I miss my immediate family, I don't need them for uh, for us to experiencing yeah. being part of a mm-hmm. household. Yeah. So hearing you talk about household, Matt, reminds me of I just have to tell this beautiful story. I I love a small town. It's, yeah. it's where I grew up, right? And right. there's a sense of being known yeah. there that sometimes is hard, yeah. very hard, well, right? It but, be, it, yeah. but it has a flip side that, that we experienced in a lovely way last mm. week. My 11-year-old, 
Harper was, um, she was going to, between her summer rec activities, and she was just walking. And <laughs> poor thing, she um, she has one of those sling bags, and it got caught between her feet, and she fell in the middle of the road, broke her wrist. Oh. Right? We didn't yeah. know, obviously, right away that it was broken. She tried to get up, fell back down on her face. Oh. <laughs> middle of the street, right? Oh. Um, and these these two women who were walking, they were just yeah. going for a walk yeah. together um, on the side of the road, helped her up, got her to the side of the road, talked to a local ho- a homeowner right there, yeah. got her some ice. Um, she knew my cell number, called hmm. me, right? First they called my mom because both of them, of course, had my mom's phone number in their yeah, cell yeah. phone. She was at the dentist, right? So... <laughs> Called me, Harper knew my number, called me. Um, I'm like, yeah, I'm in Sioux Center. Yeah. It's going to take me 20 minutes. We'll sit with her. Yeah. Wow. And so by the time I got there, there were these two women who had distracted her and yeah. talked to her and comforted her. The summer rec director was there at that point, too, telling me you need to take her in with his yeah. eyes, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. His son had just had a broken wrist, wow. so he kind of knew yeah. what yeah. we were dealing with there, like, yeah. get her in. But just encouraging her, keeping her spirits up, yeah. um, and just being with her mm. and investing part of their day. No. In this, in this yeah. kid, but I, yeah. So I like that language yeah. even right there, Abby, of investing part of their day in this child. And she was lovely. Pam was lovely. She was like, "I don't have anywhere to be. You just, yeah. I'll just be here with her." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just lovely. Yeah. And Harper and I went to them both the, to the two ladies the next day, and to Adam, to the summer act director, and just gave him a little token. But to see one of them greeted her with a hug, I think it was the first time they had yeah. ever met the day before, right? Yeah. And just yeah. just the way that they mm. were able to pour in mm. to her in that through that yeah. exchange, it just made me really thankful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, so that, I, that to me, that's a living example mm-hmm. of of household. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks for sharing yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So I just really, I really appreciated that. To, for our, for to go to places, um, to move away from places that dehumanize and technology that dehumanizes mm-hmm. into relationship um, that allows us to become fully, fully alive as children of God. It's such a yeah. fascinating touch point. These it books is. kind of flow one to the next to the next yeah. here. Yeah. Great conversation, friends. Yeah. Friends, we know your time is valuable, and I want to thank you for joining us today for another Hallway Conversation. Whether it's this day, this week, or this month, we hope the Lord gives you what you stand in need of. And we'd like to send you from here with this blessing. So to our listeners who we love so much and are so thankful for, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you have a wonderful week. This podcast was literally dreamed up during one of our actual Hallway Conversations. Our music is by Ethan Mulder. Hallway Conversations is created and produced by Matt Beamers, Abby DeGroat, and Dave Mulder. Hey, we have a favor to ask of you. Would you be willing to rate this podcast or write a review in your podcast app? Or if you found this conversation interesting or helpful, would you consider sharing it on your social media? Those things really do help podcasters out, and we would be so, so grateful. Thanks for listening, friends. Good stuff. Yeah. Those work together really well. Yeah. Fascinating to yeah. see. Totally. That's they all just good. touch. Touched each other, yeah. yeah.